Hello, so welcome to podcast number five of The Space In Between. I'm Phoebe, and today we're going to sit down with David Lionheart. I met David back earlier this year when I presented my TEDx. He also presented a TEDx in Newburgh. And he had a really powerful message and a powerful mission that I am so grateful I got to sit down and talk to David a little bit more about both. Uh, one, one being his mission is to work with veterans. His organization is Play for Your Freedom. So he tells us a little bit about his journey and why he uh, decided to work with veterans. So you can learn more about that soon. But before we get to his story, I would love to share with you a couple of things that are happening over at Nomadland. So we have only two spots left for our retreat to Costa Rica, Om and the Osa. I know, two spots left. And our early Nomad special ends November 15th. So that's coming up really soon. I definitely suggest going over to our website, nomadalwaysatom.com, and secure your spot now. <laughs> and we have one other early Nomad registration happening uh, that ends this week, November 15th as well, for our teacher training our 200-hour teacher training at West Point. So if you're active duty or a veteran or a military spouse or just connected to the military community and have a desire to work with that community, uh, I definitely suggest you... Uh, going over to our website and learning more about our program that we'll be offering from January to April at West Point. And also we're around at the Veterans Yoga Project event. They will be teaching a class tomorrow at Column Hall. That's on Tuesday, November 13th from 4.30 to about 5.45 tomorrow afternoon. And a really great organization, really wonderful cause. So uh, if you want to, if you're around, you know, definitely come over there. And I will be there after class. A couple of the other Nomad teachers will be there too to talk about our program. So if you're interested in that, you, know, you can always show up and have a little talk with us. And if you're interested just in general in teacher training, I'll be leading another teacher training, a 200-hour at Riverstone Yoga in Terrytown. You can learn more over at riverstoneyoga.com. And finally, I am offering my mo new movement class, Movement 109. It's happening this week, this Thursday at 5.30. And we'll take a couple weeks off with Thanksgiving and everything. And then I'll be back for another three-week series in December, again, Thursdays at 5.30 p.m. at the new and awesome Bar, Body, and Soul Yoga Studio. Actually, it's not a yoga studio. <laughs> uh, Bar, Body, and Soul Studio in New Windsor. So if you're in the area, definitely come on by and try out this new movement practice that I'm offering to our, our area. So... All right, with all of that, let us listen to our interview with David Lionheart. All right, hello, friends. So today we have David, and um, I met David, we both did a TEDx about... June. Uh, in June, a handful of months ago already. <laughs> and so we are connected through there. And that's actually the way I met you, but we were just talking a few minutes ago, and we have a lot of parallels, um, both personally but also professionally. So um, we'll get to the professional stuff first. But, um, yeah. I think my acupuncturist talked about you <laughs> while I was getting acupuncture. 
She's my friend Phoebe's doing a TEDx talk. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And then I saw your talk. Yeah. Uh, well, it was a performance, um, and it was incredible, and I kind of resonated with it right away yeah. during the practice. Okay. Uh, oh, the dress rehearsal. I was watching yeah. you guys during the dress rehearsal, and I was like, that's really, really cool. And then um, I wasn't expecting uh, you to unfold the way that you did, and then mm. I found so many similarities between the two of us after that, and then uh, now I'm sitting in my office with you. I know. It's, <laughs> it's wild. It's like so cool. I know. Um, I don't know how it is for you, but that's kind of how my life works. <laughs> it's just, just everything, flow. yeah, line up and it goes with the flow. So, uh, yeah, and I, the reason why I reached out to you is because your story really spoke to me too, which um, it was called Waiting for the Waves, right? That's what we enti- you entitled waiting it. Waiting in the Waves. Waiting in the, in the Waves. Yeah. But you also had this mantra of turning trauma into triumph. Yeah. Um, can, so I will definitely put in the show notes your, your TEDx link, but okay, would you mind you. kind of sharing a little bit about um, what inspired you and what kind of brought you to that TEDx talk? Sure. Um, we, I'm a, the founder of two organizations. One of them is called Play for Your Freedom. Mm-hmm. And with that organization, we're helping uh, military men and women transition along with their families from military life to civilian life. And we use fitness and peer-to-peer support for that. And that's been happening for five years now. And we um, are trying to instill hope in people mm-hmm. through a, any avenue possible. It doesn't have to be the specific sport that we're playing or the specific thing that we're talking about that day. We're willing to bend any way to let a little light into a dark place for somebody mm-hmm. without being able to relate 100% to everything every single person is going through. Mm-hmm. We just try and have a general positive attitude that no matter what we can get through things together it's almost impossible to do it alone Mm -hmm. and we put a really strong emphasis on that during the work that we do in that organization Mm -hmm. and uh, I founded another organization called Dave's Tanks Okay. and uh, it started off as a joke at first because I really like wearing tank tops (laughs) (laughs) Uh, my friends were giving me guff about it Uh, but my friend Rodney uh, he's like oh you know, you're coming up with this clothing line. What's it going to be called? Dave's Tanks. And I was like, <laughs> no, but that's really good. Let's, let's do that. Yeah, why not? And that organization focuses on people who you are a prime candidate for it. Okay. Um, who are doing things within their community to help others overcome tragedy okay. and get them through that. And it's a, it was a way for me to work outside of the veteran space. Okay. Um, we featured a woman, uh, Madalena, who works in battling cancer and uh, raising awareness for cancer research. Our next project is going to be regarding uh, a group on Long Island who's fighting um, the effects of epilepsy and helping those people transition into everyday life or at least live a quality of life and so we can feature different people through that organization without it having to be um, tied into play for your freedom and completely veteran focused and so with doing these things turning trauma into triumph is a constant conversation that's in my life Mm -hmm. and I started evaluating things from my life that I never dealt with properly Mm. and I never turned them into triumph. I kind of battled through them in a really unhealthy way. Mm. And the past couple years in working with people in need made me realize I'm in need. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to these workshops. 
I'm the face of the organization and I'm leading them, <laughs> but I'm also a soul that's behind the lines listening to yeah. myself. Yeah. And I often ask the men and women that I work with the power of them sharing their story in order to help somebody else who's going through something that can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And I came to a crossroad of saying, how could I possibly ask them to do this if I'm not willing to do it myself? Mm. And um, that, you know, you watched my TEDx talk um, in Newburgh that day. And there was a moment where I walked on stage and I had been practicing because we got it canceled for two months. I know, we did. Right? So it was like, I had <laughs> it was a buildup and then we had a tornado. Ran through it, <laughs> the story of our lives. <laughs> right. um, and, uh, but there was other, you know, people were dealing with worse things yeah. than uh, getting ready for a talk. Yeah. And uh, I walked out on stage and I actually almost walked back off. Mm. Um, I gave my introduction and the people, you would never notice it by look, watching it on YouTube, but the editors did a really great job of cutting out the moment I almost turned around and walked oh. off. Um, I was just really nervous about giving that information up yeah. to be a click away from anybody in the world mm. could access that about me. And um, I pushed myself past that point and mm. just said, okay, F it, let's just do it. Yeah. And proceeded to what in my head screw up the whole rest of the talk because I I, like lost my rhythm I they told me I couldn't move so all these things were happening well and I I was blinded by the light I'm not I don't go on stage ever (laughs) and the only thing I can see is my mother's in the audience and the talk is mainly about some of the things that she's inspired me Mm. to do and so everything was possibly against me at that moment Mm. you know I had cat litter mouth I was (laughs) dying for a glass of water (laughs) Uh, but then once it was completed and my friends convinced me that it didn't tank it, I, uh, I realized that how important that was for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm working on another talk about that moment that I almost walked off stage. Nice. And it's called The Old Me Knew Me. Oh, yes. So it's a little twist yeah. uh, of, of that. But that's a moment I'm focusing on now for people because I've learned a little bit about it. Yeah. And that's up until this point in my life was one of the hardest hurdles to get over mm-hmm. um, was divulging that and, um, and opening it up for other people to criticize, relate to, yeah. sympathize with. And, um, you know, I'm just a regular dude and just trying to figure that out. We all are just <laughs> trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, I mean, I was sitting in the audience. I watched you and that's interesting because I didn't know that. I had no idea. (laughs) Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, I could tell there was a moment that I felt that like my heart sank for you because I could, I knew like what you were feeling, but I never felt like, oh, he's going to walk off stage or so you held it together. And, and it is interesting in those moments where you see things falling apart and everything slows down, but like your heart is racing and um, but you held it together and you went through it. And that's really, you, you were taking your tra- trauma of speaking and, and having lights on you and all this um, energy, you know, at you. It, you turned that kind of trauma moment into triumph. You yeah. know, and so. that, that's the encouraging uh, message that I want to get across to anybody. No matter who you are or where you've been, yeah. you have the ability to help somebody. Um, yeah. whether you think that or not. And yeah. that, that was um, one of the, the, the main undertones of that talk. Yeah, it was a really powerful talk, and I definitely will recommend multiple beyond this, the show notes here, but I'll definitely recommend it beyond um, here today, too, and I have been. Um, So if you don't mind talking a little bit about your your trauma, so, and you spoke about it in your TEDx of just that moment when you said that was really powerful to me was you had the um, roll of coins, 
And you said, you know, not everybody thinks of this, you know, it's just whatever it was, $5 or $10. But that had a very significant moment because you held that to your father yeah. the day he left. Do you mind speaking? Yeah. Maybe you go a little bit behind that. Um, sure. Um, I love my dad. Like, I always grew up as a kid, like, you admire that person so much. And I still love him and, and respect mm-hmm. him. And I've told him that lately, you know, like, in the past in two life? years. Not really. Okay. Um and that's tough because I, uh, it's been a long story. And I listened to your, you know, I, I really <laughs> related to you and mm-hmm. that journey. My dad actually came back after all of this has gone on okay. and like moved back in with my mom, even oh. though she was married to my stepdad, Nick. Wow. This is just how my mother is. It and, sounds like uh, it comes She's a, like an angel um, on this earth. And uh, he and I just don't connect beyond him being my dad and me respecting him for that and loving Mm -hmm. him for that. Um, We just really have a hard time connecting on certain um, issues in life. And uh, I prefer to not expose my son to the same um, disappointment that I went through, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. until he can prove to me that he is strong enough to be there for my son. Um, And that's my main concern is protecting him uh, from that. And so when I was younger, though, uh, my mom worked a ton. My dad was in the service. He's a, um, an, a Navy veteran. Oh, okay. And he um, he left us when I was five. So I was holding up five rolls of 50-cent pennies, you know, mm-hmm. rolls. And I remember that day uh, pulling them out of the little blue basket and, and like, hey, take these with you wherever you're going so you'll always remember me and how old I am. And, you know, he's like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll remember who you are. And... That was a that was one of the for me the most confusing moments as yeah. a child and my mom's amazing like she's managed to hide me in a positive way from really what was going on mm-hmm. like when he walked out the door for me and my I was just my dad was like cruising out somewhere mm-hmm. but for her it was like there goes my spouse yeah fifty uh, percent of the support system financial support yeah um, he would like to party. Yeah. You know, he he was always like the party guy, the fun guy at the bar, but he just had like a really hard time being um, a full-time father. Mm-hmm. I'm sure when he was with me, I look at pictures of him holding me and loving me and like, obviously he like loves me so much and it pains him even today probably that we're estranged and to some degree. Mm-hmm. And I know that and, um, and I feel bad for him, but sometimes our emotions aren't free and our love isn't free and that comes at a cost and it's, it's come at a tax, in fact, on me and instead of uh, adding to me. Yeah. And uh, the way he added to me was me turning into survival mode and using anger as a tool to overcome. Yeah. And that's not healthy. Like, that wasn't healthy for me as a kid, like, thinking, you know, I've, there were times like, I ripped my bathroom apart when we were mm. in, in school, in middle school, because we couldn't pay a plumber to fix it. And it's, like, midnight and on a school night, and we've got no water now for months and, like, no mm. bathroom. And I'm on the phone, like, leaving him a message saying, you know, what are you doing? Like, this is your fault. Yeah. So I had to get to a healthy point in my life where... I wasn't blaming him. I was recognizing the situation of what happened and I needed to take that in and make sure I didn't negatively impact my child by Mm -hmm. saying, I'm going to be a better dad than my dad was. But just by being a fair father and, you know, giving him an opportunity and doing the right thing. And so when he left that day, it really impacted me the rest of my life, even up to this moment. Oh, yeah. Was there, um, so you have this 
abandonment at, at such an early age, and especially a father fig figure uh, abandoning you. And then you also said something about a loss of a brother. So yeah, my stepfather, Nick. So when my, my dad left, my mother remarried. My dad left when I was five, mm -hmm. and then my mother remarried when I was seven. Okay. And so we met Nick and John at the park. I was with my, my sister Michelle was just born when my father left. So I was five and she was not even one. She was just okay. months old. Okay. So uh, she never knew him other than the times he'd pop in and out. Okay. And, um, and that had an impact on her. And part of my anger was the effect it had on her. Yeah. It's not her fault. Yeah. So my mom remarried. We were at the park playing, <coughs> and uh, Jonathan was throwing rocks at us. <laughs> so that's how they met. <laughs> and uh, John was wild, man. He was really cool, um, wild kid, and had a, a little bit of a rebel edge to him. And he also grew up in a little bit of a split home. His mom separated from Nick. That wasn't a good relationship for them. And then, you know, Nick met my mom, and Nick's amazing. Yeah. He's incredible. And uh, so Nick did everything he could. John really just had a, a hard time dealing with structure and rules and things like that. So he often went off nomad style. He was just like, <laughs> there was a t period of time where he lived in the woods behind our house in a tent. Yeah. Because that was a cool because he was still there. Yeah. You know, like my stepdad yeah. knew that he was there. Yeah. And, um, and so John had... Uh, had music in his life as one of his passions. Mm. Um, but he also got into the drug side of things. It was during big time Kurt Cobain land mm. um, where grunge lifestyle could really affect somebody if they yeah. dove full on into it. Yeah. And I think he was surrounded by some other kids who were probably doing that same thing. Yeah. And he overdosed in a hotel on Broadway in Newburgh. And uh, I got the phone call about that, and I had just started dating Helena, my now wife. And um, I called her up and said, my brother, you know, just committed suicide. And, um, and I was still in shock myself. And what really hit me was going back home to my stepdad's house. Mm -hmm. And he was kneeling at John's bed mm -hmm. at the mattress. And I walked up, and it was like the room seemed like it went for miles, the walk to him. And he saw me and he just turned around and hugged me. And when he was hugging me, I knew he wasn't hugging me. Mm -hmm. He was hugging John. Mm -hmm. um, that's a moment I, I, uh, that I've been thinking about since I've done this talk. <clears throat> and um, so the loss of John was something I also didn't process. I kind of pushed that down. Yeah. Um, I had food poisoning during his funeral. I couldn't even go to his funeral. Oh, your body whether that was, was definitely... Sub, whether that yeah. was subconscious or not. Yeah. I did have food poisoning. Yeah, but I mean, your body buffet. was... <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't keep yeah, on eating don't. after you find, like, the metal Brillo in the food, but we oh. were teenagers, and oh. we just kept on going. <laughs> um, but yeah, so your body also was... Needing, I was in, in a good yeah. place there, yeah. and I, uh, I felt like I... Um, I didn't, re not that I regretted it. Like I, I, I didn't have like a, a negative experience afterward. Like my family all came together mm -hmm. afterward and I was able to be with them. Nick played come as you are at the funeral, mm -hmm. um, which of course now I related to you, 
um, you talked about some songs during your podcast, right? That uh, or maybe mm, Jessica, Jessica did is, yeah. about how some remind her yeah, about certain experiences in life, yeah. and that's one that I hear and I think about that. Mm. And um, so it's just uh, that that had a big impact on me then, and I wasn't ready to deal with it, mm-hmm. and I kind of suppressed it yeah. and went on and never really approached it with my family even. Um, until recently, you know, a year or two ago, I had talked with my mom and stepdad about it out by a campfire and um, just telling him how good of a dad he is. Like, that, that, that's not a reflection of him because sometimes he'll say negative things like, yeah. uh, I can kill myself or something like that. And that means something now. Like, yeah. after, you know, like, those, those, when I hear somebody who's like stuck in traffic, I'm like, oh, I could kill myself. Like, yeah. that just means something to other people. Like, yeah, don't say that. Like, be, yeah, be aware. Yeah. Um, so now when we do our work in the hospital, I have no idea how I get the strength to do what I do, mm. but I harvest certain things from my past and it helps give me at the moment the wisdom that I need to be there for somebody yeah. or for a group of people or say the right thing. So like this isn't a scripted thing. I didn't go to school for any of this stuff. We're just kind of like you said, following the waves of where I'm being guided and, and what's powering me at that moment and I'm trying to make sure that the things that are powering me aren't negatively harming me and I'm properly dealing with them yeah and that's advice for anybody because you can't just suppress those feelings and think that they're going to go away yeah and you need to find other people who even if they don't know what that's like who are willing to just sit there quietly and listen to you talk about it even that's very happy we say a lot can happen over a cup of coffee yeah um so that that was something that you know that plays a role now in the work that I do. Yeah. Well, before we get to your work, I'm wondering, like, what did, what did suppressing it to look like? What did, what did that, you know, old version of, of David look like, um, when you were dealing with this uh, deep loss? I mean, it, and you, there are other things too that you mentioned in the, the, the TEDx, but you just had loss after loss and, and just, challenge after challenge and so it seemed like it was building up and so what did that look like um for you before you had that shift it looks like it does now like I was strong and handsome and successful I was a really successful athlete when I was younger and I used that as a way probably from killing myself Mm. uh was my way of dealing with things and I always had this underlying thing about me that I would run so hard I wasn't gift I wasn't gifted at all I would just work harder than everybody else and um, I always said, if I die on the track, I'd be ha- at least I would die happy. Mm. And that's kind of morbid yeah. now. Like, I mean, it's ESPN tough a little bit, but it's kind <laughs> of morbid. Like, part of me was like, I don't care if I die out here. Like, and maybe that's better for me, you yeah. know, but I'll do it, move at a million miles an hour yeah. and do things others can't do. And then that took me to college and I was a, you know, a good athlete in college until I was taken off the track team for a health issue. And then that full speed mentality that I have of running fast away from what was Mm -hmm. hanging on my back turned into a partying phase too. Okay. And so there was drug use, there was alcohol, there was, you know, I was doing anything to just keep on moving a hundred miles an hour, still exercising, still doing all these things. Um, but never really hunkering down and 
evaluating <laughs> what was really driving the car, mm-hmm. you know, and people look at me now like, oh, you're skinny and toned, you know, you must be happy and successful, <laughs> right? And like, no. Nope, I still have my stuff. There's like, yeah. a, you know, there's demons there that weren't properly slayed and, yeah. uh, and I had enough of that and I'm talking to people and I felt fake in some of my conversation to some of the people in my, in our work mm-hmm. because I wasn't addressing that for myself. And then I saw this TEDx talk come up, uh, Cassie posted it and, um, I mess- texted her right away. I'm like, Hey, what's this, what's this going on? And yeah. she's like, Oh, well it's tom- tomorrow. It's the last day for the applications. I was like, well, who's in it? She's yeah. like, oh, well, they had to pick people. I was like, okay. And I went and submitted the application. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Who cares? Yeah. I'm probably not going to get it anyway. And then um, I was like, oh, congratulations. You made it to the next round of interviews. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> this just got real. I know. You know? Like, oh, my goodness. I heard you talk about yeah. the process, too. And that made yeah. me reflect on that, too. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay. And I, I wrote the interview process. I just typed out. Mm-hmm. One draft and then clicked send. And after I hit send, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was like, you know what? It's there. Why do I want to be on it? Who cares? Mm. Like, I'm just, this was a way. I used that interview process to start talking about the things that were on my mind. Yeah. And then by the time it got to round three, I had to do the video interview, you know, the, the 10, 30 seconds of yourself talking, and it took an hour and a half. Oh, I forgot. I phased that part out. Oh, of course. I did. <laughs> I went through two shirts. I had sweat marks. I had to change locations. Don't I was like, this is terrible. My wife's like, I need to get up and get dressed. I'm like, just give me 10 more minutes. You know, like, I didn't like that. I don't like hearing myself yeah. do it, and I don't, don't want to be there doing it. But then mm. um, it worked out, and it became a, a, a reason for me to move forward in that direction. Yeah. I just thought, hey, this is meant to be. Like, let's do it. So the TEDx was really your moment to start speaking your truth. My life changed on that day. Wow. So you, because the way that you delivered it with such confidence, I felt like you had kind of already been speaking your truth for a while. So this was a really huge pivotal moment and where you were coming more. Maybe you spoke amongst family. And the hospital members, like the people that we work with in the hospitals, I think part of our trust lies in, I'm very honest with them. Yeah. And I've spoken on segments of those things in the hospital. And like we go into the acute mental health units, the substance abuse units. And John was a big motivator for me. Like the people who literally have no hope and no friends and no nothing. Like we're trying to walk in there and in an hour convince them that they should live and live well. And I don't want to say that's not easy because it's important. And so I, I, I was practicing in segments of sorts, mm-hmm. but I was never even then doing what I had done during the, the TEDx talk. And that was, yeah. before you know it, I looked at it, it was 500 something views. And I'm like, okay, yeah. that's a lot of people, you know? And some people yeah. have reached out saying, hey, I've experienced similar things to you than yeah. as you. And telling me their stories. And one of my mentors, Barbara, she said, get ready mm-hmm. because this is going to happen. Like other people are going to reach out with these stories. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I feel like I was prepared in the work I've been doing for the past three years in the hospital yeah. for that moment. And for now the moments following that. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause just I, the reason why I was running late today is cause I, I see, um, I, my mentor is a healer an energy healer and we're working on kind of my next phase of life. And we were 
almost saying exactly what you're saying here is you had all these experiences and now it sounds like the TEDx really put language to it, even though you were having these snippets and fragments of, of sharing with, um, with your, you know, people in the hospital, but now it's almost like brought it to full light. And when you have real language for it, uh, something does shift. So TEDx was almost, because we call this podcast the space in between. Mm -hmm. So it almost sounds like what you were saying when you said, when we started here, you said you walked out and that really became your space in between. Uh, but, and then it just sounds like too, from what you're sharing and from, you know, what you, what I saw in the, in the talk that you had, a, you had all this going on in your life. You know, you had all of these hard times, but you also had this, this really important figure, your mother. Mm -hmm. uh, and she seems like she was always your light um, and, and is your light. <laughs> Currently. Yeah. Currently. I'm She's still here. Yeah. Uh, so it's interesting because I'm always, I'm looking at, I really like to look at like, what is that moment of shift? Like the rock bottom moments or, or the transitional moments of, you know, where am I going to now? But it sounds like she was always sort of there humming you along. Was there, I mean, just looking back, was there a moment, a huge shift from that? I can't be angry anymore to let me, um, change that anger and turn it into triumph or. No, it's a constant um, it was a constant, it's a constant therapy. Che checking in for your whole life. Yeah, and yeah. even now, like, um, I bring a lot home with me from the hospital work yeah. that I do, and that translates into frustration and anger against my wife and my son sometimes. Like, mm -hmm. when I bring that home from the stuff that we're doing, I need to be mindful and, and make sure I can, in a healthy way, take care of myself so I can take care of the people that we're trying to help. Yeah. And I talk to Helena about it and, you know, I'm, if I'm short with her or something, it's, I've chosen to go into these spaces where people are only emitting negative yeah. energy and you have to absorb that. Mm -hmm. You have to have, if someone's throwing a hundred negative darts at you, you have to absorb a hundred and yeah. have a hundred in your back pocket to throw out that are positive. And so TEDx was also one of those modes for me that to shift to saying like look we really need to make sure that I'm not suppressing anything further mm -hmm. if I want to continue to do this work or I have to stop yeah and I can't picture stopping so I have to make sure that Good. I'm in a healthy way that I don't let what happens out there impact my family in a negative yeah. way because then what's it for yeah. then who am I really helping when you're hurting someone at the same time yeah the byproduct needs to be positivity as well as the yeah. positive impact that you're having so my mother, she was, she just has a magic about her and her faith is her anchor and her rock. Mm -hmm. And we studied in like a thousand different religions growing up from Jehovah's mm -hmm. Witnesses to soul churches that we were all <laughs> over the place. That's great. So faith for her was always a really big thing. So I never knew what I wanted to do religion wise, mm. but I always wrote faith on my speed suits or in my memorabilia. Like I always knew yeah. that you have to have faith that it's going to be okay because even though I was suppressing things, I had faith that it was going to be okay yeah. or else I wouldn't be here. Well, you were dealing with whatever you could at that time, you know, the, what you were capable of. And it sounds like you're in a really great place right now so you can unpack it a little bit more because sometimes if we're in that you know rock bottom moment we're not capable if, when you were partying in college you weren't capable of dealing with your that real 
anger of, you know, what had happened to you in the past. It wasn't real. And I it, mean, it, yeah. you're living in a falsified reality. Yeah, and you would have just continued to go down if you would, didn't have the tools that were, you know, that allowed you to build from it and grow from it. Yeah. So now you do. You're in this great, more solid place, and it sounds like you're living more authentically than you ever have. And that's where we can have, like, the light come in through the cracks, yeah. right? And, so. and she was good at that, and that's one of the things I talked about was despite everything she was going through, mm. she always volunteered and gave back and helped. And, you know, if you're hungry and you're holding something to eat and someone comes up to you and they're hungry and you don't have the ability to give them what you have, then you got to work on that. Yeah. And she always had the ability to do that, and she had a way of helping me through the moment. It's tough parenting. Like, that's... I give her a lot of credit. Like she has an ability to help me through the moments. Like I was abused as a child. And when she found out mm -hmm. about that, somehow she made it okay that it didn't like impact me beyond it hurting. Like that was a yeah. hurtful thing. And reflecting on it now is very hurtful. Um, and she made that okay for me. And yeah. that, I look at that as one of the many pillars of her success in helping me get through the crap at the moment whether it resolved it didn't resolve it fully at the moment but she's like hey it's gonna be okay yeah and I believe her as opposed to like sometimes like my father would say like yeah yeah I'll be there or hey I'll call and then it wouldn't happen and then like you're let down mm -hmm. you know but you have that love for the parent that no matter what you'll be there for them until eventually that burns out yeah. and she always upheld her end of the deal, even if she didn't solve the problem, she never gave me a false reading on anything and she made it okay. And yeah. like, she was the one that kind of cradled us along, my sister and I, and um, as a unit, as dysfunctional as we were, mm -hmm. we worked together, you know, yeah. and it was And you're functional, good. dysfunctional from the outside. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, that's that's all we want as children and what we want to provide for our, our children is safety. And that could have gone a whole different direction if she didn't create that safe space for you. And that almost was the space in between of yeah. she being able to hold that. Absolutely. You know, and I think that that's... And she allowed... She not only created that safety for when it happened, but she also gave you prior to that feeling that, that ability to say, I will feel safe if I say this to my mother. And because I think that a lot of people who are, you know, have been abused in the past, you know, maybe it was somebody they're related to, or maybe it is, you know, somebody from the outside, but they always have that fear of speaking their truth. I'm afraid whenever there's any man around my son, that's not me. Yeah. You know, we were at the diner the other day, and the guy at the desk took Roman by the shoulder to push him towards the cookie counter. And mm. he's like, no, no, come behind the counter. Yeah. And I broke a sweat, and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. And my first thought was yeah. aggressive one. Yeah. But I just calmly walked over and like, no, no, we can just look at the cookies from here. You yeah. know, so... I have triggers that go off and my son is oh, yeah. like to just like, And you don't oh want God. him to absorb that either. And I don't want him to yeah. see it. So my yeah. reaction is very important. Yeah. And being aware of that is very important. Yeah. And uh, honesty 
is important. So like love and creating that safe space is one thing, but mm-hmm. honesty, even during a bad time, like she was honest with me. She's like, that man hurt you. Mm. And um, honesty you never have love. to see him again, yeah. you know? And Good. it was, she was honest. She'd be honest. Like, look, we don't have any money. No, no, you can't, we can't eat. You can't have that. We can't do that. And she was honest. Like, it, well, you know, she never sugarcoated anything. It was, yeah. You know, this is how it is. I do. I think truth, uh, honesty is love, you know, because truth is not always happy. <laughs> it's not always safe. But if you are open and, and honest, you do. You create this space of love. And that's what it sounds like she's done for you yeah. this this whole time. And what a, what a great person to have in your life. And you're so lucky, you know, to be um, brought to this earth by such an angel as you called her. And I think that's one of the reasons why you had to go through all of these traumas, right, to turn it into triumph. She was your guiding light so that you could be of service, you know, because I think a lot of a lot of us who are healers in a greater sense, you know, we had to go through really hard times so that we can relate. Like you said, the, your, the patients in the hospital, you if you just had a perfect life, right, whatever perfect looks like, um, you know, just the average life, you might not be able to have that heart connection um, that you have with them. You know, it's, we all have fragments of each other's stories within it, you know. It's humbling. Yeah, yeah. it is. Uh, and there's no filter or, you know, discrimination um, in that space, and I think I like that the most about it, and we mm-hmm. really when people come in, they have a, they're hard on themselves when they get yeah. there. Like we're so hard on ourselves, you know, like we're so hard on ourselves. We need to just <laughs> lighten up and figure it out a little bit yeah. and like, just have fun, you know, like yeah. I want to grab my hands the other night and we just danced in the living room, you know, Aww. like, and I'm so rigid now. <laughs> like I was, I feel like I was so fun before I started exposing and digging and mm. working the past five, seven years. I felt like I was more fun yeah but I was also hollow inside a little mm. bit, and I'm trying to learn to be fun again. That's so funny. I have the <laughs> same I have the same feeling too, because um, and I've shared this in the podcast and you heard in the TEDx, like I felt like there was this very fun person, you know, living I didn't say this in the TEDx, but I lived in the city, you know, I was a dancer and I was married. and I felt like after my divorce, I had to unpack a lot. like, that was my space in between was just so much came to a head. And I just thought I have to go to work now. You know, all the stuff I was suppressing, you know, all of the fear of abandonment from a man and the anger and the shame, great shame. I carried a lot of shame for so many years. Uh, I started, I said, okay, all of this went, you know, is out the window. So now I have to do the work. And so I too, for the past, I think it's almost six years of like being serious and getting down. And, yeah. Let me, let me get all this dirt off of me. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way though. No, You're like, all right, in two years, I'm going to be good. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Oh no. Because as soon as you get where you think you're good, life is going to throw you something else. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that but way. it is, I think what you just said is true. Like there. And you were you are probably still fun, but you you have it just a different version of fun, yeah. and and that's how I feel too. Is I'm just you're rediscovering a new version of yourself, and and what was fun back then was not for me, you know, going out into the city dancing till like five a.m. and probably being hungover the next day. That's not fun anymore, and I don't want that to be fun anymore. <laughs> but I this is fun being able to connect to people and hear their stories and. 
and laugh about it too. Like we're on the other side, man. Right. And, you're, and you're probably starting to hear your real voice. Yeah. Yeah. And you too. And, and that's fun. <laughs> um, so, and we can do both. We can yeah. do, yeah, we can dig Absolutely. deep and also laugh and have a good time about it. And, uh, and yeah, let's talk a little bit more about your organization. So how you said your father was a vet. Yep. And so is that what brought you to work with this population or was there something else? It wasn't because he left before I knew what that was. Yeah, we didn't um, know what PTSD was back then. No, and I didn't know what the military was and mm. I didn't grow up in like a military household. Okay. Um, my mom was militant, but we, <laughs> it wasn't a military household. A militant angel, <laughs> interesting. A militant angel, it's a good name for a band. Uh, so... It was um, a friend of mine. I have friends who served from high school, so they went into the military. We went to college, and all I knew was they weren't allowed to do the same things that we were doing. We were partying, and they yeah. were doing very disciplined, regimented schedules okay. and serving the country. And when they were deployed, that hurt. Like the, our guys came together, like our friends who were home, you know, back home, kind of like really made sure we checked up and caught up with these guys whenever somebody heard from them. Mm. It would, you know, while they were on deployment. And uh, interesting enough, I reflect now because of the people that we do work with in the hospital, there were moments where as friends we were hanging out after, um, you know, we were out of school and sometimes those conversations get serious. Like they would go into a serious space and we would even say like, oh man, these guys, like they'll never be the same again because of the exp mm -hmm. what they went through is so different than what we went through. And uh, it means a lot more to me now the times that they might have felt comfortable to like talk about some of those things because they were around their close friends and it probably felt really good for them to get that off of their chest, those mm -hmm. moments. Uh, but it wasn't until five years ago um, where I, I pointed out before my buddy here, yeah. he, uh, he was an army vet and he was handsome and strong and I never once would think that he was hurt and he kind of explained to me that not everybody's wounds are visible. Mm -hmm. And he's a great, he's doing awesome, married, incredible man. And uh, what he did, though, was make me realize that even though we honored him on the first game, he was the one who pushed the torch away saying, hey, like, it's not about me. It's about everybody else. And I kind of took that instead of like, all right, you've given me the lead on what to do now mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so we did this one-time event a year, uh, for two years, and I wasn't meeting anybody that I wanted to help. We were just sending money. Okay. And that was a problem for me because I'm more personal than that. And I wanted to really mm -hmm. make sure that whoever was getting this help was actually getting the money and getting the help. Yeah. And so I started cold calling hospitals and being a pain in the neck and saying, hey, I want to <laughs> play football with your veterans. And finally, I got a coordinator from Montrose to say yes. So uh, they came to Newburgh Armory on January 28th of 2016. And we had our first what we call wellness workshop. So we call them wellness workshops for the mind, body, and soldier is our tagline. Nice. And the simplicity of it is we just exercise for a couple hours, and then I provided a healthy meal, and, um, and then they went back to the hospital. Okay. But what happened was I had, like, a registration table and T-shirts and things and, like, bracelets and signed the waivers <laughs> and stuff, and i never been around that many veterans at once. So, like, 25 <laughs> vets blew into the room. They're smoking cigarettes. There's, yeah. like, waivers everywhere. No one took a shirt. Everyone, <laughs> there's footballs smoking. flying oh everywhere. You know, we had a couple NFL players who still work with us today cool. um, that came to, like, guest coach. They never met me before. Yeah. So there was this really interesting atmosphere that was happening, and 
there's like stuff ever flying everywhere. And then they went to the kitchen, and now there's chicken bones everywhere, and like empty pizza boxes. And then they're getting back on the bus, and they're like, "See you later, Dave." And back on the bus, I'm like, "Holy smokes! Like we just got steamrolled by these dudes. Like what happened?" And the one thing I was talking to my buddy Henderson, I noticed. I said, "Hey, when they got here, they were really pissed off, but when they left, they were smiling." Yeah. And I was like, "We got something here. We got to figure this out." And so that was number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, as of today, on the you can, on the board here, we are uh, we've done eighty. Um, as of this morning, we have almost three thousand vets. We're just a couple of veterans <gasps> away from three thousand that we've exercised with yes. in two and a half years. So that comes with a learning experience. So while we first were dealing with people with PTSD. Um, we call it PTS. Uh, I started learning more as I was cold calling these hospitals. I was calling anybody within three hours of our mm-hmm. of Newburgh, and they're like, "Well, we don't have one of those units, but we do have a secured mental health unit." And I'm like, "Cool, let's do it." Mm-hmm. They're like, "Do you know what that is?" And I'm like, yeah. "No, but what do I care?" Like, just set it up. I'm like, how many people are there? That's, I just want to know how many pictures and helmets to bring. Mm. Um, so the helmets that are behind you, we uh, I pick those up a couple hundred at a time. Okay. We sand them down, but not the scars off of the helmets. Paint them, put our logo on them, and we give one to every veteran that we play football with. Oh. So although that, that's been through hell, mm. it still can be made beautiful again and given new purpose. Yeah. And that's kind of a parallel that we give the men and women that we work with. Um, in the hospital. And this is a, a visual reminder of that. Mm-hmm. But we tweak it our we tweak not our presentation but our uh, our time spent we tweak our fellowship with them depending on who we're working with so we'll go into the acute health units and there's very little that we can do there or bring in there but that becomes a lot of engagement talking uh, spending some fellowship which means a lot and then we work with substance abuse units spinal cord units we do bedside um, we work with senior citizen um, so what is populations. That? And what does that kind of look like? I mean, it sounds like you just have to wing it. I will you, do anything. Yeah. So we, even if we're just, I'll, I'll ask the hospital coordinators because sometimes they're the most difficult to work with. We're yeah. so fortunate that our coordinators are amazing. Yeah. Um, but they'll look for any reason to say no because it's more paperwork and it's yeah. like just something to do. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, like we can't have that here. I'm like, do you have a hallway? In your hospital? Yes. Well, then we can do it. Okay. You know, we bring adaptive games in. I work with getting a veteran's hand wrapped around a ball, even if they can't move, mm. just to see what it feels like to hold the ball and maybe drop it into my hand, mm. up to a young Iraq-Afghanistan vet who probably has so much steam built up in them, they need to get out in the football field and almost run you over. Yeah. But think about it. If they're not getting that off and blowing that steam off, it's not going anywhere but in an unhealthy way staying inside. Yeah. So we try and offer as many aspects as we can of a workshop from full fitness participation mm-hmm. to I'll hang out with them while they're smoking cigarettes. Like I tell them, like, you look, next three hours are yours. You can smoke a million cigarettes or you can play every minute of that game yeah. or somewhere in between. But this is yours. You earn this. Like this is... My son was born on free soil because of you. And we honor them during that time. So while at the same time we're trying to help them, we start off with an opening ceremony, national anthem, honoring and thanking them for the sacrifice that they're making up to the moment. They're still in the hospital. Some of them for years. Some of the people I know in the acute health units are there for years. That's like no family. You're not sleeping in your bed. I hate going to a doctor's appointment, sit in the office for 15 minutes. They live there. And we have... And then we leave. We get to go and then we leave. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's really humbling that that continued sacrifice without 
seeing them get the help at the same time. So we try and, um, and again, I didn't serve, I'm just a regular dude. We just try and be honest and be there. And when we say we're going to be there, we are. And now we're going on three years. This will be our third year that we've done the work. And now we have a reputation. So the people that we meet in those units where they can't leave, we say, hey, hang in there. When you move to the next level of recovery, we're going to be out on that field out there playing football. Nice. And then when they do and they see us there, because we're there every 30 days, okay. this way there's accountability. Yeah. And that's why we're different than other organizations is that we um, maintain constant contact and constant fitness protocol. So uh, the veterans can communicate with us via Facebook, email, call, text. Like, so we're in constant communication, yeah. our team and the veterans that we work with. And then we give the veterans a chance to come back and volunteer in our organization. So when they get out of the hospital and they're back with their families and work and everyday life, they can come back and give to those who are standing where they once stood. Yeah. And um, that's the most uh, incredible compliment and visual for me. Yeah. To see the timeline of that yeah. to the veterans wearing our shirt, um, yeah. out helping, serving food, playing ball, encouraging yeah. there's one vet who really swears a lot but then he doesn't swear as much when he's wearing the shirt <laughs> you know like the coordinator teases him he'll know who i'm talking about if he listens to this he's the irish bulldog uh so uh, it's humbling to see these men and women um use us as a tool to help other veterans yeah and for me that's the ultimate you know, we're all volunteer. Like, that's the ultimate paycheck. And we get to shake hands with every single one of them. And I make a point, when they're getting off the bus, we're shaking hands with them. So we have instant contact. A lot of them don't want their photos taken at first. And then once we go through the opening ceremony, there's people scratching off the nose and clicking yeses to be in the group picture. <laughs> they're like, we had no idea it was going to be like this. Yeah. And we're really, I don't have a military background. I'm learning as I go. I just have open ears. Yeah. We're really just caring about people. Yeah. It's really, really simple what we're doing. Like it, is. it has nothing to do with football, has nothing to do with anything other than taking time to listen and an effort to help. Yeah. I mean, the thing the what I just kept hearing when you were speaking there is you were be, sh you were seeing them, you know, for who they are. And especially vets. I mean, I think most people in the world don't feel like they're being seen, but let alone a vet, you know, who might have come back with some, you know, the wounds that we cannot see and they don't want to show them. But if we can even just see them, right, without seeing that mm -hmm. and just seeing them for all that they are, um, like the helmet, right, um, you you provide that for them. And like you said, you show up, you created that safe space like your mom did, was always being there, always being accountable, you know, being able to be accountable. Yeah. And the other thing I see too, and this is kind of where our, we are perhaps might be collaborating in the future, is I'm giving them purpose. Because uh, I think a lot of people who go into the military, they, they want to serve their country, mm -hmm. right? They want to have purpose. And a lot of times when they come back, especially if they are injured um, in any way, um, hurt in any way, they feel that they are not complete and they cannot be of service. They don't have purpose anymore. So you really repurpose them. Continued service. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. the hardest thing is looking at it and saying, I'm not that person anymore. Like, I mm -hmm. want to serve my country. I, I'd imagine for them, like, I'm not that warrior in the battlefield anymore. Yeah. But now I'm this dude or this woman who's pushing a shopping cart around in Walmart. And, like, 
what am I doing here? Like, this isn't, <laughs> what am I doing? Like, this isn't what I want. This is way harder than that. I'm really good at that in, yeah. on the military side. And I hear it so, so often. Yeah. And it's um, maybe trying to speaking, start speaking with our new voice of mm-hmm. who we are, right? And yeah. trying to convince them. But like, I'm not the same track athlete I was when I was a kid. I'm not, I'm not a state champion anymore. I can yeah. keep conjuring that up in my head and like reliving that. But I'm an old, brittle man. Yeah. You know, like, I can't, I'm not going to do you're that. You're not that old or I, brittle. I, I can't but do yeah. that anymore, you know? But, so. you're, but you're holding that space so that other people can, in a way, yeah. you know? And we're reinventing who we are yeah. at that moment so that we can not you only are. help ourselves, but help, help others and yeah. um, trying to convince them that they do have a purpose and they can help um, is uh, is as hard as it, as it is to do for ourselves. We're yeah. constantly having that conversation with ourselves. Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and the thing I have written down here, I don't remember what the reference was, but you just, I have in bold print, and I think you said this, you are not alone. And I think that from the little that I know of you, and um, and this organ, both organizations, is that you have provided that you see people. You are not alone, and I just want to say to you too, you are not alone. <laughs> and so, thank you so much for holding space for so many people and for transforming your life, and and while providing this space for others to transform their life. Thank you, and yeah. thank you for your voice, um, the voice that you've had. And I, I listened to the first fifteen minutes of your podcast. And then I texted you. I said, hey, I'm getting into it. And you started talking about the letter. I'm like, oh, I didn't get to that part yet. And I was like, you know what? Let me get back in. Like, how I, I was pushing it off because I was busy. Yeah, I stopped okay. what I was doing and sat and listened to it. And um, as soon as you start listening um, to others who um, have that uh, special talent and that special gift like you do, oh, um, it starts changing things for and starts um, uh helping build things within yourself so for me it, it pushed I've realized how much I had in common with you if I didn't listen to it yeah. and just you know like flaked it off like <laughs> it's not about us like I really mm-hmm. really appreciate your story and the voice that you're giving people through this um, platform Thank and you. um, and your persistence for growth like you're not nomad's not growing on accident <laughs> you know and uh, yeah. you know, and even though you're the face you have a lot of good supporting cast and incredible yeah. people behind you but um, thank you for being the face of the organization because that takes a lot of um, courage and stress and it's not easy. So you're doing an incredible job. Thank you. Yeah. I, it's been very liberating um, being able to share my story because, and I said this, I think in that podcast of just feeling like, you know, I have this story, I have these wounds and I've grown from them. It's fine. But, and I don't need to share that. You know, I actually, when I was, when I still teach yoga, but I never really did at the beginning of class a Dharma talk is what they call them at the beginning of class of sharing kind of your life experience. And I never felt that I was kind of worthy of sharing it in a way. And, and now I feel like, oh, I see how this is necessary, how it is really healing, being able to um, sit here and share pieces of my story and and hold space for other people to share their stories too and and that's what you're doing too through your organization i I related to you being a care i I felt comfortable talking with you um before we even really met each other (laughs) this is really the first time Uh, we've actually sat down i know it's hilarious uh but you mentioned in your story that when you were younger during the car incident Mm -hmm. and every time you grabbed up the your stuffed animals and then safe kept them safe as you got out you've had that spark in you since then like Mm -hmm. you were just you were destined to 
find your way onto that path Mm -hmm. and you have and like those little sparks you know I wrote down on the wall before even a flicker is a flame Mm -hmm. you know so you've had you've been displaying that through such trial and tribulation your whole life Um, you probably just didn't realize it or maybe you did until this point and now you've been given a platform you've been blessed with a really great platform to do that for others Um, but it seems like you're a natural caretaker and uh, and that's important too. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that's funny that you brought that image up because I came from my my healer today, and we were uh, another part of this phase. This next reinventing reinventing of Phoebe <laughs> is uh, incorporating dance into people's stories. And so I'm taking this letter that I shared in the first podcast and actually choreographing to it to cool. release the uh, the the. And so we're looking at this image of scooping up the the stuffed animals and how what she said today and if since it related to you maybe you can think about this for yourself too is how when we had those moments of I have to save everybody on board right that's not only everybody but also all of what you are right all these fragments of who you are yeah saving yourself you know because if I had left that one stuffed animal it would have gone off with my father you know and I needed to have all of me to be able to be who I am. So, um, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it, what you, we were talking about earlier of just having these life experiences and now you're kind of putting words to it and language that, um, is able to help you process it more mm-hmm. and also help other people. I think that's kind of that image is what I think of. Oh, I had this experience and now I'm putting words to it. Yeah. And it sounds like for you too, of just, you know, having, all of these heartbreaks over your lifetime, but you were gathering all of this courage and strength and uh, for yourself, but also for others. So thank you for, thank you for that. Yeah. Here we are. (laughs) Well, again, and thank you for this time. I really am super grateful and I look forward to collaborating again in some other way. Maybe we'll have you back again and we'll definitely collaborate with our organization. So fighting the good fight. Yeah. And how can we find you? Um, How can we follow your organizations? Uh, All of our social media handles are for Play For Your Freedom and that's spelled out. And then uh, playforyourfreedom.org is our website and that's a great tool. Um, and you could email me directly off of that site if um, anyone has any questions or if you know any veterans who can benefit from our programming. Yeah. We operate from Long Island up to Albany and then the two biggest hospitals in New Jersey. Um, as well, we've done satellite workshops in Chicago, uh, Savannah, cool. Georgia, and Palo Alto in California. And we could also, this could be a call out for other places. And yeah, and we're always looking hears. for more veteran volunteers yeah. and just people who want to um, give back in this space and uh, um we're always uh, open to that, and we always need help. Cool. And what about Dave's Tanks? <laughs> Dave's Tanks is still really new, but davestanks.org is a place that you can okay. visit to see some of the work that we're doing. Cool. And um, it's taken a little bit of a back seat as Play for Your Freedom's gotten really busy, yeah. and that's my primary focus uh, outside of my family. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so th- that's the best way to reach me is through uh, either okay. davestanks.org or playforyourfreedom.org. Cool. Uh, and you can see our TED Talk on YouTube if you type yes. in David Lionheart. And we'll have it in this I don't know yet how I'm going to do it, but it'll be there (laughs) in some way. So thank you again. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed our story with David Lionheart. I really enjoyed sitting down, talking to him, hearing about his his journey and his mission, and I hope you did too. If you want to find out more about David's mission, playforyourfreedom.org. You can go over there and visit. I'll also put that in the show notes, as well as his TEDx talk. So I will share with you all again soon. Have a wonderful week.